I wonder if God was on Twitter, what would he tweet? What if he tweeted this? Foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. Is that what you would expect God to tweet to the world? I wonder, would you retweet that? Let me put you at ease a little bit. Did I just pull a random verse out of context in the Bible? Let's go to the verse before that, maybe to get some context, Proverbs twenty-two fourteen. The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit. A man cursed by the Lord will fall into it. Hmm. Well, that didn't help us much in terms of context. I suppose if God was on Twitter, there's a good chance he may be canceled or kicked off. And maybe it would even be the church that would protest. You know, we as the church are often very concerned about God's public image to the world. We like to be his PR managers. So, well, thankfully, you know, I think for all of us, God isn't on Twitter as far as I know, but he has spoken. He's spoken in his word. And this morning, we're going to consider God's word spoken in the book of Proverbs. Let me put you at ease. Not everything in the book of Proverbs is as controversial as those verses that we just looked at. Uh, religions of all kinds appreciate the, the wisdom that is found in the book of Proverbs, probably written in the 10th century BC by King Solomon of Israel, passed down over thousands of years. I do think the Proverbs kind of read like Twitter, uh, a collection of chort pithy and sometimes seemingly random sayings just kind of collected in one book. Proverbs are often misunderstood. Let me just say a couple words about what Proverbs is not. It's not law. They're not necessarily promises like do this and then this for sure will happen. Uh, it isn't 1 Corinthians. So if you've been coming for Michael's sermon in 1 Corinthians, this is going to feel very different, uh, not just because I'm a different preacher. Um, Proverbs also is not like an ethical flowchart, like situational ethics. Like if you do this, then this will happen, and then you should respond this way. No, it's not that. So if that's not what Proverbs is not, what is Proverbs? Proverbs could be compared to a treasure map where the treasure is wisdom. Proverbs presents the way of wisdom. And this trip, this trip, this uh, sermon series is going to be like a trip that we take together as a church. I'm going to be your pilot. Uh, we're going to fly up to our cruising altitude of about 30,000 feet. We're going to look at four different landscapes from the air, collecting God's tweets, if you will, and the Proverbs along the way. We're not going to be so interested. I'm not going to be like, okay, there's the ocean, a lot, lot of ocean, some clouds, there's the land. We could approach the Proverbs that way, kind of collect the, the topics of Proverbs into like buckets. But we're going to be concerned about how different kind of areas of landscape ge or geography collide. Um, so we're going to be considering poverty and riches. Lord willing, we're going to be considering pain and pleasure, life and death. And today, we're going to be thinking about kids and parents. Today, we want to hear what God has to say about kids and parents 
in the book of Proverbs. How are we to conduct ourselves as parents? How are we to conduct ourselves as kids? This flight's going to get a little bumpy. There might be a little turbulence in particular when we talk about parenting. Parenting can be a very sensitive subject, especially in our culture today. But the goal together and our, our time together is that God's word would safely get us to our destination. And that destination is the wisdom of God the Father found in Christ the Son. That's where we're headed. So I, I told you that these sermons are going to feel different than what we're used to. Uh, as, as Michael, I think, shared when we did that gender series a while back, these topical sermons, now I understand what he was saying when he was like, I don't like topical sermons as much. Um, so I, I feel you, Michael, uh, and I want to help us think about some of the things that we can say, some of the foundational truths about parenting and children in Proverbs. There is so much that could be said, uh, but we're going to be looking at the foundational truths. So here's my main point for adults and kids and everyone in between today, teach and listen to the wisdom of God. Try to keep it simple like the book of Proverbs. Teach and listen to the wisdom of God. And I'll warn you now, the first point for the adults is like most of the sermon. And then kids, I try to keep it short and sweet for you in the second point. So two points, teach and listen to the wisdom of God. Point one, teach God's wisdom. There's three sub points. See if you can find them. I won't, I won't tell you what they are. Look at Proverbs 1, 8, 9 with me. Um, and you can either open your Bibles or try to go surf around on your phones, but that might be challenging because we're going to be jumping around all over the place. So we're going to seek to put, thanks to Kelly Sauter's good work, we're going to try to put the uh, scriptures up on the screens. So Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. King Solomon isn't just telling his son, hey kid, listen to your parents. He's setting up the entire book here at the beginning. Proverbs is a book for learning wisdom and instruction. It's a treasure map, like I said, that tells us where to find the, the treasure, wisdom. Adults, and particularly parents in the room, Proverbs assumes that you're teaching your kids. Did you notice in, when Tyler read the scripture from Hebrews 12 earlier that, that uh, the scriptures just assumed that fathers were disciplining their kids? It just, well, Proverbs assumes that parents are teachers. Did you see that in verse 8? A father's instruction, a mother's teaching. It doesn't need to say, hey, parents, make sure you're teaching your kids. It just assumes it. I don't think Solomon's son was necessarily homeschooled. Solomon knows the truth that parents are always teaching, not just by word, but by deed. Kids are very perceptive. They are learning by how you are acting, parents. The next generation is watching, and it can sometimes be a scary thing, more than we realize. So our life and our words are instructing. If if you're not a parent here this morning, the kids are watching you too. <laughs> so if you haven't thought about this, we'll, we'll, we'll be thinking about this a little bit later, 
Um, but teaching the next generation how to live is a community project. We're all in this together. Even, and even people who aren't religious get this. Like, we got to teach the next generation how to live. Um, I mean, just yesterday, I was in a little league coaches meeting, and uh, one of the guys I'm going to be coaching with and helping Sam's little league team with, he doesn't have a kid on the team, but he loves baseball, and he loves kids. And so he's like, yeah, I want to pass down this, this gift, this skill to the next generation. We understand that if someone's going to have a skill, if they're going to understand something, they need to be taught. That's just obvious. Um, so I will say again, this, this point is largely directed at parents, but it's foundational. And I'll, and I'll probably say it again, but adults in the room, or if you are our grandparents or parents of, you know, grown children, uh, the parents who have children in the home, we need your help desperately. Um, we need your wisdom. We need your perspective. And to the young adults in the room, we need your energy and your influence with our kids. I, I don't know how many times I've heard it said, and I think I've said it myself, uh, that we can tell our kids something a hundred times, but then someone like young and cool, like Nick Munchurian or Lily Pivarenta says it to our kids one time and they listen, right? Isn't that how it often works? And another word again to, grown, to grown, uh, parents of grown children, um, those of us in, who are parenting kids in the home, um, you know from your time in raising kids that parenting is not for the faint of heart. Uh, and we feel like failures a lot. And you might feel like a failure because maybe your kids didn't turn out the way that you had hoped. But we're going to see that that's the point. Parenting is not in our own wisdom, or it's not controlling for outcomes. Just as we've been singing, we know that the Lord is the Lord of salvation, and we will be helped, the young parents in this room will be helped if you, older parents, share your perspective, share the journey that you have been on so that you can give us your wisdom. So if all adults are teachers, and uh, kids, you can be teachers too, there's younger kids looking up to you and watching you, what should we be teaching? So we've established that we're teachers. What's the content? What's the class that we're enrolled in? Well, what does Proverbs say? This is really what the whole book is about. Uh, let's start at the beginning. As I read, try to answer this question, what are the Proverbs for? What are the Proverbs for? We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. What are we to be teaching? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction and in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. The rest of this long point is going to be organized by what we see at the end or at the beginning of verse 2 and the end of verse 7. The content of our teaching is wisdom and discipline. Did you see that at the beginning of verse 2 and the end of verse 7? What is the next generation to be learning and thus, what are we to be teaching? Wisdom 
and discipline. This whole book, we could organize all those other descriptions, I think, under those general categories. This is what we are to, I think we're to teach wisdom and discipline is kind of how, what one of the ways how we teach wisdom. So first, what is wisdom? Proverbs are for learning wisdom. What is this wisdom we are to be teaching? It's a very general term. Well, verse seven tells us this could be the motto for the whole book. What is wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9.10 fills it out more. It's like, well, it doesn't say wisdom, it says knowledge. Well, Proverbs 9.10, Solomon tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs will continue to agree. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. So did you see the thing that was in common in Proverbs 1.7, If you wanted to, we could look at like 20 other passages in Proverbs. But the point is the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It's the starting point, the content of our teaching. The book of Proverbs is a lesson in fear. Parents, enroll your kids in Fear God University on day one and tell them to never graduate. Encourage them to grow in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that what even the New Testament tells us? We are to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Well, but again, what does that mean? To fear the Lord? Well, let's skip forward to Proverbs 3, 7 to learn what it means. Proverbs 3, 7 says this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fearing the Lord means rejecting your own wisdom not trusting yourself, not following your heart, not believing in yourself. You know, evil sounds so sinister. It's like, you know, put down witchcraft or something like that. No. Proverbs is going to tell us uh, going your own way, being wise in your own eyes, that's what's evil. Hmm. Our culture tells us, you do you. Our culture says, you do not do you. Or the the Proverbs tell us, don't do you. God says, do it his way, not your own way. You know, we are not to encourage um, children to simply or merely do things God's way by giving them uh, a list of rules. Um, It's not that God commands us to fear him in an impersonal way. Uh, We don't have merely uh, for the Bible tells me so religion. Praise God. If, if that's basically kind of what you instill in your kids, and we all fall into that at times, behavior modification is simpler. Um, but there, your kids will inevitably look for something more authentic and more personal. If our religion is, for the Bible tells me so, God says this, you need to do it. Uh, it is that, but it's much more. God is the king and the ruler and a good and loving father, so we should obey him. But when God tells us to fear the Lord, did you notice that the Lord is all caps? This is the covenant name of God. This is Yahweh. This is the, the I am, the God who, as when, when God reveals his name in Exodus, he is the one who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. We are dependent on this Father, as we have been thinking about. He is not just a distant Lord, but He has drawn near to us as Father. 
So consider, are we presenting the children of this church with a distant God who is uninvolved in their lives? Are we simply teaching them a list of commands or rules? Or are we presenting them with a big picture of the Lord, the Lord who has a name and who has revealed his name to us in Christ? You know, what are, what are some ways that we can p- present a big picture of God to the next generation and not just talk about morals or the right thing to do with the next generation? Well, <clears throat> being teachers of God's word, I've, I've, seen, I've seen so many examples of this. I just think of recently in this church. So as, as many of you know, and as many of you have participated in, we have this marriage class going on uh, during adult Sunday school, and uh, we offered childcare. And it was just gonna be babysitting initially. You know, but Adrian Lawrence hears that there's 25 to 30 kids showing up. And she's like, even though they're very young to fifth grade, she's like, I'm going to teach those kids some, some stuff about God. I'm going to, to read to them from God's word. I'm going to ask them questions. I'm going to engage those kids about the Lord. You know, Mark Whitcomb and I were reflecting on the, the future of, you know, first hour, as we used to call our Sunday school for kids during that nine o'clock hour. We're like, you know, we can't always have Adrian Lawrence, but really anyone could sit down with some kids, open an excellent children's storybook Bible, read it to the kids, and ask them some questions. You know, you simply just have to love God, love people, kids are people, (laughs) and be humble enough to be an instrument in God's hands, to be used by him. You know, just a second example of how we teach the next generation to fear a big God is we invite children to be here in this time with us. It's not always very suited to maybe their development or their attention span. I'm very aware. Um, But kids are always watching. And they are listening most of the time, right, kids? I saw some heads pop up. Um, kids, like I said before, kids are perceptive. They can, they're, and they're watching you. So even though you might not have kids, kids are watching the way that you worship, the way that you listen, and they are discerning what is valuable to the people who claim to believe and love God. Parents, it's a scary thing, right, that, that our children know what is more compelling to us, the the basketball game this afternoon or the football game in the winter, they can tell if it's really just more out of duty that we come to church and that we worship. I am so thankful to raise with Ashley, Sam, Iris, and Willa in a church where we can sit under the ministry of the word that presents a big vision of God and to see brothers and sisters respond in love and worship. What a blessing, what a gift uh, to raise our children in this context. You know, I've given just a couple examples from the church, but what about in the home? I think one of the ways that we present our kids with a picture of a personal God who draws near to us, a God who is to be feared, is we are just present as parents with our kids. 
It's a ministry of presence, not giving gifts, but being with them. Um, I will say, I don't know about you, but I often struggle to know how to talk to my kids about God or spiritual things. I find that difficult. Sometimes I feel like my attempts to do that are often conversation killers rather than starters. Um, But what I think I've learned and what I've heard from uh, some of you um, who are further along in this is to persevere, uh, to make myself available, maybe particularly at bedtime when kids are stalling and they're willing to ask different questions. Um, We can't teach our kids about a personal God if we are not present with them, if we're too busy with other responsibilities, whether it be work, church, volunteering, or our social life. You know, one, one dad, this stuck with me. I, it may have even come from this church, I can't remember, but one dad um, said that he kept a sticky note on his steering wheel for when he was commuting home from work. Um, and he, it said, leaving job number two to go to job number one. And I don't think that was so that he had an attitude as like, I gotta clock in and clock out here. But you know, this was like his primary responsibility to, to raise his kids, to care for his wife. So if that is what we are to teach, the wisdom of God, which is the fear of the Lord, which is something that's both caught and taught, we don't put those against each other. We teach, it, teach our children about God with words. We read to them from the scriptures, and then we ask for God, God's help in living that out. But, but how are we to do this? Kids, are hard to raise, and uh, we could really use some help in knowing the how of how to teach the fear of the Lord. Well, this is where we turn to discipline. Proverbs 1-2 says, as we read earlier, that that the Proverbs are for learning wisdom and discipline. So what does it mean to teach the fear of the Lord through discipline? Uh, Discipline of children is obviously uh, a controversial and touchy subject, particularly in our culture. Um, Many of us were raised in homes where discipline was not done well or not done at all. Some of us come from homes where the authority was abused, or it might not even been in the home, maybe in the church or in a, a school setting where authority was abused. So, so often in today's culture, we hear authority and we think authoritarianism. Um, Ashley's late father never really went back to church after middle school because he went to uh, a private Catholic middle school where the nuns beat the children with rulers for misbehaving. Despite all the ways in our own experience and our baggage with authority and even just the word discipline, which can trigger us, Proverbs lays out a positive vision of authority and discipline. It tells us that discipline is key to learning God's wisdom and is a labor of love. So if we throw the baby out with the bathwater, if we say, I don't like this discipline bit, I don't like this authority bit, I don't know if we can know the wisdom of God. I don't know if we can know what it means to fear him. We need to have a a biblically informed vision of, of authority and discipline. This is what Proverbs 3.11 says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline 
or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I'll put you at ease. I'm not going to talk about how to discipline. That, that there will be other context for that. We don't have time to talk about how to discipline. What we need to see this morning is the heart of discipline. As we consider that the Lord disciplines the children in whom he delights. So, and Proverbs makes this very clear. To fail to discipline at all is a failure of love. Uh, Proverbs is very black and white on this. It's, you can see in Proverbs 13, 24, the one who will not use the rod hates hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. We also see that if that's the heart of discipline, love, the goal of discipline is to impart wisdom. That is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 29, 15 says, a rod of correction imparts, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a youth left to himself is a disgrace to his mother. We should not, as parents, leave our children alone in their sin. That would, be, that would be the most unloving thing that we could do for them. Now, I hope it's obvious to us all that discipline is going to look very different from a, for a child who is five than from a child who's 15. Uh, discipline is a broad biblical category, even within the Proverbs, even though it talks about the rod a lot. It is a broad biblical category that is talking about correction. We, we don't like discipline and correction, but godly correction and discipline is always done for the good of the one being disciplined. It's a heart of love for that person, not for ourselves. It's not a, a means of vindication for ourselves. It's not a way even of justice, finally. It, it's a way we teach children how to fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Proverbs 6.23 says this, for a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. That's why I think discipline is the how to teaching of the fear of the Lord. So parents, as you read the Proverbs, and I encourage you to do so, to, to, for yourselves and for your children, consider the positive role of authority that God's given you. It's for the life and the flourishing. Your authority is not a bad thing for your kids. It is for the life and flourishing of your kids. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I, if I err on one side of like harshness or not being diligent and disciplined, I'm definitely on the not being diligent side of the spectrum. I can be too soft with the kids. Um, as I was reading the Proverbs this week, I realized what this is, the heart that's going on there. It's fear of man. I fear my children. I fear their being unhappy and their suffering in the moment more than I'm able to look with eyes into the future and see and love them, love the future version of them, right? I, I don't want my kids to be sad. I don't want them to be mad at me. I can often use, and I do think this is great advice, give your kids lots of grace. Give your kids lots of grace. 
But sometimes we can, we can twist that <laughs> to serve ourselves more than our kids. And we use grace as a cop-out for disobeying God and leaving our kids alone in their ease and comfort in their foolishness. You know, if, if you wonder, I, I think people who, who know me would affirm where I am on the spectrum there of uh, being too lenient with the kids. Maybe you don't know where you fall if you're a parent of young children. I'd encourage you to ask your spouse in humility and listen. Or you could go big. You could go big and you could ask if, if you have uh, parents who know the Lord and are godly and have seen your your parenting, you could ask your parents for advice. They certainly have walked through that journey. Um, that would be a wonderful way to strangle your fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Well, friends, there is so much we could say from the book of Proverbs alone about parenting, about discipline, about what it looks like to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways in obedience and to teach the next generation that fear of the Lord. Uh, but we can't do it all here. We hope to do this in community. So this is just hot off the press after the marriage class. So the first Sunday in April, we're starting a parenting class. And so I would encourage all of you, whether you have kids or not, whether your kids are are older and grown, or your grandparent, we, we, this is a community project. It'll be at 9 a.m. There will be more details. Again, it's open for all. We plan to uh, have childcare, although we need your help. Um, so I, I think this is going to be really helpful as we all struggle with, with like mom guilt, dad anger, uh, feeling like failures, and uh, uh, just the disappointment that we feel often as parents. Um, I think I heard Michael say once that as a parent, you're always kind of operating in this uh, arena of self-doubt. Like, am I doing the right thing here? I'm not really sure what to do. So we, we need the, old, the older folks who have gone down this journey. We need examples of what this looks like. Uh, so let's persevere in teaching one another. Uh, especially the next generation, what it looks like to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways. All right, kids, much more briefly, it's your turn. If adults are to teach God's wisdom, God calls you, kids, yes, I'm talking to you, to listen to this wisdom. Let's consider how and why you should do this as we conclude our time together in this sermon. So number two, listen to wisdom. As I looked at all the Proverbs on listening and that are directed to the youth, which is really all 31 chapters, it's all written to the son, um, but I came up with three key, uh, three key words. Um, hopefully, kids, you can, you can follow along with me here. The three words are happy, fear, and Jesus. Happy, fear, Jesus. H-F-J. Uh, let's start with happy. Proverbs 8.32 says, And now, sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy or blessed. Proverbs 8.34 says, Anyone who listens to me is happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the posts of my doorway. 
We all think that happiness comes from getting what we want, uh, from doing what we think will make us happy. God says that happiness comes from listening and obeying Him and His wisdom. The problem is we all think we are wise. As we considered earlier, we all are wise in our own eyes. But if you're going to be happy, you're going to have to trust your parents when they're speaking God's word to you, when they're speaking truth to you. You're going to have to trust that they know more than you do if you want to be happy. If you do what you think is right all the time, you will be very unhappy because uh, we are all born foolish and inexperienced. This is a silly story, but um, I hope it will help serve this point. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with baseball cards. I loved sports cards. And uh, I think my parents were even a little concerned. They're like, all he, you know, all he wants to do is go to sports training card shows and all these things. And I remember, I remember this conversation I had with my dad when I was just a kid. He's like, you know, Daniel, you won't always love and collect sports cards. And I was so positive he was wrong. I was like, no, I will always love baseball cards and I will always collect them. I didn't trust my dad. I was wise in my own eyes. My dad was right. My baseball cards are somewhere, but I'm not even sure exactly where. Kids, what are some ways, maybe it's not something quite so silly as that, but what are some ways that you, even just this last week, were wise in your own eyes? That you didn't trust or listen to your parents? Where maybe are some categories of life that you're convinced, this is maybe particularly for the teenagers, that you're convinced your parents have no clue and they don't know what it's like? Is it possible that they really do know what it's like? They have been kids. They have been teenagers before. Is it possible that you might be wrong and not them? And that when you roll your eyes at them, they actually know what they're talking about. Like, well, you don't know my parents. They are, they are totally out of touch. Uh, this says differently. So I think we should listen to God's word. Happiness comes not from trusting ourselves, not from being wise in our own eyes, but trusting the good authority that God has given us. Second, fear. Now, fear is not being terrified or thinking that God is out to get you like a monster who's waiting to get you. Um, fear is this awe, this wonder, of, and, and a respect for the God of the universe who made you, who wants to be in relationship with you. That's, that's an amazing thing. That's an awesome thing. Again, a, a, a silly example, but hopefully to keep your attention, kids. Um, if Thor, the god of thunder, were, came, came down right in front of you just now with his hammer and all, you know, you, you wouldn't act like that didn't happen. You wouldn't, like, ignore him um, or slap him on the back like you guys were good buddies. Um, I think you'd be awestruck. You'd be starstruck, or even if it's not really Thor, but just uh, Chris Hemsworth, is that who plays him, actually like showed up. Like the kids would be like, "Did you see who's here?" Um, that would you. We would be starstruck. We would be mesmerized. Well, we know that the God of the universe is more powerful than Thor, 
And he really does draw near to us in the person of a son, by his spirit, he speaks to us in his word. And this should cause us to be amazed. Like, yeah, you've maybe heard this your whole life, but he speaks to us. The God who, who made the galaxies, who upholds the universe by his, his mighty word, by his son, he speaks and he draws near and he's real and we can know him. And that, that knowledge of the holy is a fearful thing. It's an awesome thing. And that fear drives out lesser fears or concerns. When we put God in his place as king, listen to what Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. One will sleep at night without danger. The fear of the Lord leads to life. One will sleep at night without danger. I think perhaps one reason that many of us are so anxious uh, often is because we haven't really explored the depths of what it means to fear God. Well, if we're going to fear God by knowing him for who he truly is, being awestruck by his majesty, by his holiness, by his love, uh, we're going to need to know that God is our father through Jesus Christ, his son. And that brings us to our third word of listening to wisdom will involve listening to Jesus. What did God the Father say when Jesus was transfigured before his disciples? In Matthew 17, he comes down and he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. You have the law and the prophets standing there, but listen to him. It's all about him. This is wisdom. Kids, you're not surprised that I went here that I'm concluding with Jesus. You hear us talk about Jesus a lot in this church. But what do you love about Jesus? What have you heard about Jesus lately that makes you love him? Do you love him? You know, I'm not sure what you think or feel about Jesus this morning, but let's consider what Jesus loves. Jesus loved to listen to his father and obey him. And Jesus came as a teacher to teach us God's wisdom, to teach us what God, his father, was like. He demonstrated what it means to listen to wisdom. He always obeyed his father. As we thought about in Hebrews 12 earlier, he was even disciplined by his father, not because he had done wrong, but because we, all of us, parents, adults, kids, we've all been foolish. We've all been wise in our own eyes. We've all gone our own way. But Jesus came to show us the way of wisdom. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus and the cross are the wisdom of God. So that's why we talk about Jesus every Sunday that we gather. And that is why in our homes, in our discipleship, in our small groups, we talk about the cross where fools are forgiven and shown a better way, the way of wisdom, the way of Christ. So kids, I'd invite you to start on this journey of wisdom even today. Or maybe you're here this morning 
and you don't understand yourself to be a Christian, you don't know Christ, when I asked, what do you love about Jesus? Kind of like, I don't know. This is the day of salvation. We don't come presenting our good performance or our track record to God, saying, look how wise I've been. But we come turning from our pride. The num- the, there's, there's only one reason we don't come to Christ. It's because of pride. We are convinced that we are wiser than God. It's a moral reason. We want to persist in our pride and living life according to our terms. We come up with all kinds of reasons why we won't come to Christ. But the gospel calls us to die to our pride. This this category of listening, of humbling ourselves, is what the New Testament talks about as repentance, turning from that and trusting in Christ. So ask God to help you this morning if you don't know Christ. Ask him to humble you, to give you eyes to see that being wise in your own own eyes isn't working because we are fools apart from God. So I'd encourage you to talk to someone before you leave today or kids, talk to a parent, talk to one of your parents, talk to a youth leader or a teacher about what it would look like to start on the journey of wisdom where the treasure is Christ himself, the wisdom of God. Well, in heaven, all of God's children will see and praise God for eternity, for his mysterious and wonderful wisdom. We will no no longer need teachers, all be out of a job, because we will all know God. His law will be written on our hearts, and we will praise him. The, the wisdom of God made flesh in Christ. We'll praise our Savior and Lord. So kids, are you looking forward to that day? Adults and kids, are we practicing as we thought about last week for that day? For that heaven, that place of perfect love? My friends, God is looking for a people who confess that they are not wise in their own eyes, but who stand in awe that God would save a bunch of fools, a bunch of scoundrels, a bunch of self-righteous people like us and call us children. Well, as far as I know, God doesn't have a Twitter account. I'm not really sure what God thinks of Twitter or social media. I have some guesses, but we do know that God has spoken to us in his word. Uh, God, the father has spoken to us in the person of his son And he has spoken to us about all kinds of things, including how we are to conduct ourselves as as parents and as children. He cares about the details of our lives. He cares about these roles that we have, the things that sometimes can cause us heartache. And he shows us the way of wisdom because he's not concerned with us proving ourselves to him, but he's spoken to us so that we might turn and trust him as a good father. So how will you teach others God's wisdom this week? And will you listen to him as he speaks to you in the person of his son? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us not to forget your teaching, that we would not wander like rebellious children, like lost sheep, and seek to live life on our own terms, 
Lord, we pray that you would humble us. We pray that we would see your wisdom as more valuable than all the riches of this world. That whatever we do, that we would get wisdom, that we would get understanding, that we would not turn away from your word. Lord, we pray that you would use this church as a means of teaching your word and that we would be people who listen. Oh Lord, we know that happy are the people who fear you, who walk in your ways. So Lord, we pray that we would know that blessedness, that happiness that comes from following you. Lord, strike us afresh even now with the deep love that you have, Father, for us in Christ. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.